Welcome back to part two of my long-form conversation with Matt Tabak, current employee at Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much to Matt for giving me all his valuable time in this far-reaching conversation about Magic the Gathering. Let's listen to part two. Well, we, we might have segued a little too fast into Ikoria. I, I forgot to ask if you had any final thoughts on, on Eldraine before talking a little bit about Ikoria. Eldraine is still... Coria came real close, but Eldraine is the leader in the clubhouse for my favorite set to work on. Um, although there's a set in the future I'm working on right now that may come for the crown. Oh, cool. I don't even know if the code names are out there, but... Uh, you know, the code names starting with Throne of Eldraine, that was archery. Mm-hmm. And uh, Theros Beyond Death was baseball. Coria was cricket. So we got kind of a sports theme, an alphabetical sports theme going on. Mm-hmm. So the set I'm working on right now is F. And I don't know if the code name is actually public or not. And Mark is not conveniently in my uh, living room to ask. <laughs> so I really need to get one of those Mark Rosewaters. They're, they're convenient <laughs> to have around. Collect them all. Oh, Mark, write this down. Set F. Learn more about it. That may be my favorite set thus far. Oh, very cool. Is there any ETA on when that comes out, or is that still a few years out? Uh, so let's see. Set. What's. Uh, let me check my calendar. That's a good question. This isn't public, but you can kind of guess, like. How often sets come out you can kind of project forward i don't have an exact date or even an exact month but hmm. oh no worries just just in the future yeah it's sometime in the future and i find now that we're living in a reality where time has no meaning uh it's really done wonders for my management of deadlines <laughs> i do not detect any sarcasm at all in that i rarely use sarcasm sarcasm <laughs> Is a tool of the comedically underprepared. <laughs> well, we'll be looking out for set F, and um, it sounds to be an A+. So we'll see when that comes out. Oh, that was great. <laughs> As for Ikoria, let's see. What did you? Uh, what, what was the code name on that one? You said, uh, I guess that was... Ikoria was Cricket. Cricket. Okay, so in, in Ikoria, Layer of Behemoths, I enjoyed that set overall. Um, yeah, Korea was great. I, I'm an American. I'm told cricket is a, a real sport. I have never seen it. I don't know what it's all about, um, but uh, I, I'm told it's a, it's a sport. I'm sure it's some sort of like outdoor game with like bugs or something. Sounds fun. I thought that was the one where you, you hit the ball through the little white things. S- sounds right. I think so. People make a game out of anything. Uh, please, no letters. I know what croquet is. Coria um, <laughs> was awesome. It was large, fantastic monsters. Uh, it was a very dense set from a design point of view. Like, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, a lot of new, like, mutate is a whole new thing. Yes. Yeah. Really not like much else we've done before. Even meld, which is like the closest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mutate goes off in several interesting rules directions from that. Yeah. Ikoria was a Dave Humphreys uh, set lead, design lead. I love working with Dave. Um, we have worked together on several sets, including Ikoria, uh, and are working together on a set in the future, even beyond F. 
you can imagine such a thing. Hmm. A lot of cool stuff creatively. Um, kind of a, a world where, unlike most magic worlds, humans are not at the top of the food chain. Yeah, They're kind of scraping by for survival. Um, so we get to see all these incredible monsters that are really just living their lives, but also terrorizing everything they can. <laughs> I really enjoyed the, the aesthetic of it all, that it, it felt like... Yeah, this world that has these range of creatures from vicious looking to cute looking, like um, like that little fox Farfinder. I love that. Uh, I love the art yeah. on that. I like the card. It, it's a it's a nice uh, vigilant creature, but it also goes goes to get you a land. And the art is just beautiful. I love the blue tones on that. And as usual, magic is a is a magic art is a home run. And I liked all aspects of Ikoria as well. I know that sometimes. Uh, as power levels go, there's a whole discussion about one of the mechanics of of Ikoria, but I I liked it all, and I liked the the whole ten legendary companions that could be part of your deck that will uh, just give you more ways to build and more ways to customize and more ways to put yourself into a magic deck. Yeah, the the mechanic companion that you're talking about uh, again, with the caveat that I'm not a developer, I'm not on the play design team, so I don't really have a hand in those kinds of things. But certainly, uh, Companion ended up a little bit north of where the team was aiming, I think. Mm -hmm. um, we did, kind of did an, an un, largely unprecedented, at least in recent times, uh, move of changing the definition of the keyword. Yeah, um, We've done that a handful of times uh, long ago, but those are mostly rules-based changes, like Lifelink has changed what it means a couple times, but that's mm -hmm. mostly just details. This one was more power-level inspired. Uh, yeah, I know it, it happened. It's a little, it's disruptive when that, that happens, right? Because now the card does something other than what it says on the card. Yeah. But you, know, you take shots, and uh, this one didn't quite work out in our favor, but we, we get right back on that horse and make new cards and try again. So it's, the group of cards is really fun. Um, they're very popular, even with the new kind of way they play. They're uh, valuable additions to some decks, but not all decks. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, like this is just another way to, to build decks. And even with the rules changed, let's say you don't use the card as your um, companion. Let's say you use your card as your as your commander in Commander or your commander in Brawl. That's just another way to still mm -hmm. get your uh, your card, your, your, your cute little critter over and over. And I like how there is that range about like Kahira is like a very stately sort of um legendary cat beast and then we've got lutri the spell chaser uh, i love the the art and the style of that holding the the energy and the blues and the reds and it's just so cute and then we have the oboshes and the gairudas of it all that are a little less cuddly but still would make a great companion then you're not going to go over all the companions and then leave out my beloved karuga <laughs> the macro sage of course i wouldn't forget that dinosaur hippo so cute it is. I love the, the, the hippo aspect and the dinosaur aspect men, melds really well. And if you look carefully, I think his expression is also pretty, pretty enjoyable. So the overall style of Ikoria is just amazing. I don't remember what creature type uh, Karuga was before the art came in. Um, generally, when, when designers design cards, you know, they'll put a plausible creature type. If it's not relevant like if it's not part of some sort of tribal synergy thing um, like if they want something to be a soldier they'll make sure it's a soldier or a human or a dragon or whatever 
Um, but sometimes for like, especially green, large, non-humanoid creatures, like, is it a beast? Is it a hippo? Is it a dinosaur? If it doesn't really matter for play, it's just kind of, well, we'll see where the art goes. Mm-hmm. Um, look at that line and it's like, dinosaur hippo, what on earth would a dinosaur hippo look like? And it would look exactly like that. <laughs> yes. The art direction really, really nailed it. And it all came together to uh, to create a, a great piece together. So I'm looking at what other hippos exist. And there's apparently only six other hippos. And one of them is in black. Oh, yeah. Lazatet behemoth, black hippo. Yeah. So hippo tribal is uh, is getting there. You've got me curious. I'm going to bring up the uh, internal card record for Karuga the Macro Sage. Uh, I'm just going to take a quick look at the change log mm-hmm. and see how this creature type has evolved. How much that? Uh, how much the change log has mutated more than the cards in Ikoria? Yes, there is a comment here. Uh, is possibly more walrus than hippo, and that's. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. um, looks like it started out it was originally designed I'll give you kind of the in, the internal uh, the inside scoop here when the card was originally designed it looks like it was a squirrel crab wow um, I think the designers just wanted to have some fun with some creature type mashups that you wouldn't expect to see and that yeah. you couldn't really see on most other worlds. Yeah. Um, this originally was conceived of as a squirrel crab. It then became a frog crab. Uh, and then it became a hippo once art was actually commissioned. <laughs> and and then it became a hippo dinosaur. And that is the tale of Karuga the Macro Sage. I'm pleased to bring it to you. That's really funny because I... I, I couldn't even imagine how starting off as a squirrel crab evolves into these other directions, but there we go. This was a squirrel crab at one point. Well, we ended up getting a, I believe, a squirrel nightmare in Ikoria, so that's a that's adjacent. A squirrel crab sounds nightmarish enough to me. Black border squirrels come to you courtesy of, really more than anyone else, uh, Mark Rosewater and Mark Purvis. Uh, very big fans of black border squirrels and it is mostly due to their uh chittering that we have <laughs> as often as we do mm-hmm. uh, with Ikoria there was definitely a lot to enjoy for all levels uh, I think it's it's pretty complex in general but I think it's also a very good starting point for people just because of the visuals of it we've got the Godzilla cards we've got the companions we've got just this world of uh, big monsters and adventure and it's interesting how you said about that the humans are not at the top of the food chain I know I've read several articles where sets uh, where humans were not quite as involved in it didn't do as well so i wasn't playing during lorwyn block but apparently that was one of the uh one of the gripes about it that there weren't humans there yeah I, one theory is that the fans you know take to creative worlds where they can identify with some of the characters in there i don't know if that's really strictly along you know human or non-human lines mm-hmm. um I think with Lorwyn, it was really 
I'm not sure with Lorwyn whether the problem was lack of humans or it was just sort of what replaced them. Like, I don't... The Kithkin, some people love them. Not everyone did. Maybe they weren't the most resonant tribes to pick. I don't know. I love Lorwyn. I thought Lorwyn and Shadow were both great. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have... They're telling that Lorwyn was just so tonally different from things around it that not everyone was really prepared for that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Eldrain kind of pulled that same tonal shift off to with more success, I think. Like Eldrain is kind of it, parts of it are whimsical, and you know, there's the fantasy storybook element to it, which coming off War of the Spark, that's a big left turn as far as the the themes go. Yeah, um, and I think after War of the Spark being such a long narrative heavy mm-hmm. um not unlike karuga the macro sage uh <laughs> people uh Aldrain is kind of the fresh air mm-hmm. i like how that directions the i like how the pendulum can swing in those directions where it might be heavy in in the long-term plot of the whole war of the spark or we can have like a visiting a plane for one or two sets and then moving on uh, i do have to say personally because i grew up with it in the 90s and then when i got back into it there was still the block set uh, the block format i mean and i liked having uh, one or two sets in one plane before moving on to the next one because i'm sure it must be a lot of work for all of you in the building where every single set possibly is a brand new set we do returns to things of course but so much creativity has to be created and, and put out in in, in so many times a year to to in this new model, I think. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely, we're visiting more worlds. Um, and even the return worlds is a great deal of work, kind of, you know, developing what has changed and how we're moving the story forward. Um, it, it's, it is a greater challenge. Um, we've certainly kind of beefed up our creative forces to meet that challenge. Um, and they do an amazing job. Like the stuff coming out is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have long narrative arcs like we saw before the spark where like a storyline takes place over a variety of different worlds and a variety of different sets to kind of your one-off like mostly self-contained things like Eldraine was kind of its own story and it didn't really extend beyond that although there's you know there's always the planting of seeds for larger narratives going forward I mean I, I think you'll see a little bit of everything Mm-hmm. from it. it it's fun the interesting thing about having you on the podcast as someone that is in the building of wizards of the coast um asking this kind of question might have different nuances i usually ask what's the funniest coolest most interesting or weirdest moment you've had on arena i knew this question was coming and i still don't have a great answer hmm uh what is the funniest coolest moment or any sort of weirdness or anything at all there was one situation that came up and uh lee sharp who works on the arena team uh (laughs) kind of turned this into a social media post um it was funny it was one of the early uh human drafts where Mm. we were testing drafting with other people and you, you see that screen where you know you see where the boosters are and constantly there was one person, and these are all employees. This is an internal draft, so we knew it was one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, the boosters are always sitting on this one person. Mm-hmm. And Lee's joke was like, you know you're drafting with QA. Yeah. <laughs> when, so like every 
Every pick took the maximum amount of time. <laughs> That's really fun, that screen where you can actually see people, even though we're not yeah. physically gathering anymore. It, I always like to jump in and see who else am I playing against and do I recognize everyone? And oh, look, look how many, look how many Nickel Bolas avatars people have chosen. Yeah, it's kind of a throwback to, you know, that old Magic Online um, version 2.5. You could see when you sat down for a draft, your your avatar and the seven other avatars sitting around the table um, mm -hmm. where you can show off your, your not only your avatar, but if you had a high, high rank, mm -hmm. high rating, you got adjustments. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's, that is definitely a very unique answer, of course, because you actually work there and those, those different things can happen. Yeah, it was just kind of a reminder that, like, human drafting was such a desired feature, right? Because people yeah. want to draft with people. The bots are really cool. Like, they did a really good job. Um, I know the play design works with um, the people figuring out how the bots draft. And, and that experience was awesome, especially because you could do it at your leisure you didn't need seven other people um but really nothing replaces human drafting but this story is a good reminder that with human drafting with all the good that it brings it also brings some of the things like people taking forever to make their pick <laughs> yeah or not being able to launch a pod because i was part of the early access streamer event hashtag sponsored for the uh corset 21 uh, and I was there also with like uh, on, on a private dis uh, on a private Discord server that I can't talk about. But we were there and we were um, trying to get one firing at the very end of the day, and we just had like one slot that we couldn't fill in uh, because it was such a limited amount of people playing a set that no one else could play yet because we were in this early event. Uh, this, as I go through my day, um, this is especially true when we were all in the office. Um, it's a little weirder now that we're all from home. But you get a lot of requests for playtesting, just being in, at Wizards and being in R and D, um, or what we not what we now call Studio X. Mm -hmm. um, just looking to fill tests, especially with players of varying experiences and skill levels. If you know all your playtests are the hardest of the hardcore from play design, your feedback is not going to be mm -hmm. your feedback is going to be way. So you want to get a breadth of of people in there and so i'm constantly getting requests to draft and because uh i have a job and i have work to do i can't always just drop everything and jump into a draft <laughs> and uh past me would be horrified <laughs> offered drafts and be, just be like i can't eating or everything mm -hmm. turning down opportunities to play magic past mm -hmm. me would be Horrified. I've gone corporate. I've sold out. <laughs> Again, let me assure the listeners out there. Um, if for some reason you're still listening, and thank you. This is it's it's good lengthy podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying it. And and I also uh if you've seen me, I like to joke about the most and kind of one of the more notable things about me is my size. Um I'm a little over six foot eight, <laughs> weigh about two six. I eat a lot. I need to buy food like all the time. So, poor purchase of magic products helps feed me. And I appreciate that on a personal level. I cannot even express to you. Um, I'm hungry. I'm always hungry. <laughs> 
Well, I think if the sales of magic continue to increase as uh, we've been seeing, I think you'll be okay. Now, I do want to say it's uh world. Not everyone can, you know, people are out there having a hard time with jobs. There's a lot of people not bringing in income. Mm-hmm. Hey, if you can't do it now, no hard feelings. Totally understand. Live, live your truth. Mm-hmm. But man, let me tell you, magic is awesome. And you should get in on it. Hmm. One of the things, one of the questions that I like to ask my guests here, because we're on the outside of the building, we like to be a little bit of armchair quarterbacking, is what would you like to improve about magic? So here's another question that I think is going to be a little bit different for someone in the building. Now, I usually, I, I usually couch it, however, by saying something about the gameplay, the the art, the the community, the the company. So again, this will be a different kind of question for you because you're actually there. Oh, community is fantastic. Wouldn't change a thing. I've met so many players from all around the world. So many fans. It's awesome. Uh, the way Magic has touched people. Uh, impacted their lives, formed relationships. It's sweet. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't change it. That's what I would change. We have yet to really have an amazing introductory magic experience. I think the best way to learn magic by far is people who play magic. Um, I started because friends showed me how to play. I have introduced friends to the game. Um, I've taught people at you know conventions and uh organized tournaments like i've i've taught hundreds of people to play that it's the best way to do it mm-hmm. uh what i'd really like to see is i would love to make it easier and like and we do good work here um wizards has been trying to teach people how to play magic for 27 years it's definitely in their interests to make it easy to teach people how to play magic um and we've had just a, a variety of programs over the years to incentivize people to do just that. If anyone remembers the old guru program, I, I, I did that. Um, I just really would like it to be easier to learn how to play. And it's a big part of my job is working on these materials and helping out things like uh, Arena and their you know new player experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Magic is just big, and I really... I, I think that getting people to just experience it the first time and we're like, it's, it's sticky, right? Like you play the game and if you're the kind of person that likes the kind of thing magic is, um, there's just a lot out there to explore. And so it's not really something I would change about the game so much, but just about the experience, just, uh, connecting new players with our great community and giving people a place to congregate. And like Discord does a really good job and there's Reddit and Twitter and all the social media sites. Um, yeah, I really just want to uh, make it easy for people to learn the game. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of an easy, obvious answer, but uh, no matter how easy it is and we're constantly working at it, I want it to be better. I remember when I first played, we had those cool little books, those little booklets, I mean, that came in a starter deck. 
Um, I remember picking those up and trying to read through it and then play a little bit and then read a little bit more and play a little bit more. I don't think the whole rules of magic can be encapsulated in a little book like that anymore. But what about some sort of supplemental product like that in a Planeswalker deck where it's got a a little bit more of an explanatory text to get you started with it? Yeah, I mean, we're constantly working on new products and new ways to play. I think we've we've really sort of... uh, tapped into commander as an as an introductory experience um for the longest time commander was kind of thought of as a very enfranchised activity like you yeah. had to really know magic and know years of magic cards to really be successful at playing commander i think we're learning that commander is really just a lot of people's favorite way to play mm-hmm. uh social because you have you know lots of people on multiplayer games so it's really a good, say, format, a good opportunity for new players to really get in the swing of things. And it can be, depending on the kind of tenor of your game, can be a pretty low-pressure environment. Mm-hmm. Um, on one situations, when you play Magic, if I sit down with you to play, there's obviously the first couple of games where I'm sandbagging and actually playing. But magic becomes a one-on-one activity where your opponent's goal in the game is to beat you. Yeah. That's true in Commander also, but it's kind of distributed, right? If you're a new player uh, and you're in the right group, you can sort of coast along and do your thing for a while and have the, the joy of setting up your creatures or setting up your board and, you know, for a while before you feel that sort of direct threat. Mm-hmm. that's just fun it's just fun to play with more people i agree on that because when in the good old days of uh you know seven months ago when we had our um oh, in person times the before times yes we had our our weekly club meetings at the local college and we played uh so many games there where it was a multiplayer modern actually uh it wasn't a quite as strong into commander just yet a few people were were playing four player commander but uh, a lot of people wanted to just play play magic in a big group and we had a couple of times that we played like 10 people playing their uh their modern decks and uh that was that was fun exactly what you're saying that some people are just going to coast along trying to do their thing and other people are trying to play a little bit more spiky and then uh, the, the group sort of self-regulates. So a way to incorporate more multiplayer and have someone teach you, I think is definitely going to be a way to, to get newer players hooked on it, get that stickiness going on, because once they get bitten by that magic bug, they, uh, they're not going to let it go. We hope not. Mm-hmm. We, we really want to be a lifelong, enjoyable pursuit. And mm-hmm. We want want players to like our game and have fun playing it and enjoy our involvement with it. I'm just going to go full sales mode here. <laughs> Ultimately, like, you know, if you're, yeah, we want you to buy stuff, but I mean, we want you to buy stuff because you're happy to buy stuff. We don't want to buy stuff. We don't want you to buy stuff. Yeah, happy players are great. Mm-hmm. Well, then that segues us perfectly to the next question. If it's able to be distilled into an answer, what is the one thing you love about magic? Uh, I have to pick one. Okay. Um, well, I, I know I know the host of the podcast, and he's lenient, so you can pick more than one if you want. 
Yeah. Oh, there's that food thing. Yeah. Bad food? Food's great. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Uh, the one, if I had to pick one thing I love about magic more than is, so this is going to be kind of a, a selfish, um, very me answer. Like, I recognize that not everyone gets to do this or even wants to do this. Yeah. Really, the most fun I've had with this game is going to events. This is a very sad answer given mm-hmm. the last few months, but just meeting people that I never would have met. Um, I have really good friends in places like Finland that I've never been to. Uh, I get to travel uh, around the mostly the U.S. Uh, about Canada. I just get to interact with people and hear their stories. And know that the work I'm doing, maybe not the work I'm specifically doing, but kind of the work that our team is doing is bringing joy and happiness and togetherness. And I've uh, been a flower girl at a wedding hmm. at GP Las Vegas of two magic players that got married at the Grand Prix, hmm. wanted wizards people in their wedding. Um, just offbeat, weird experiences that. If you had asked me 15 years ago, I could not even imagine. So I, I have played Magic competitively at Madison Square Garden. Wow. Weird. Um, it just opened up so much for me. I think that's the best answer because everyone gets something out of it. And when your your life at the moment is so much better because here's a game that you played back in college first and then now you you live it you breathe it and of course there's ups and downs just like anything but if there's more ups than anything then i think it's a win in the end yeah i mean uh, magic has been overwhelmingly positive in my life have there been negatives yes i've drafted fallen empires it was terrible (laughs) i had a really bad time um but i did it and i got through it and i think it, it helped develop me into the person i am now um, a lover of Farrell's mantle. <laughs> one of the arts, one of the pieces of art that just stays in my mind from when I first played was Simulacrum. I believe that's the one it's called. What's it called? I should just look it up. It's oh, the, the one. The original Simulacrum, not the song. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, is that, is that, uh, even, is that it, even the right? Simulacrum was like uh, redirected damage or something. No, sorry, I am thinking of a different one. Let me look it up here. It's uh, oh, It was okay. a black spell, uh, but the art of it... Let me just get it up here. The art of it was, you know, I'm saying I love the art on this one and all of that, and I can't even remember what the card was, but I've just seen so many cards that they all blend together. Um, when you think about it, I'll, I'll, I'll make this point as a Wizards employee. One weird phenomenon I've experienced, and now I've worked for Wizards for coming up on 13 years, is... I will remember cards that don't exist. I'll remember <laughs> that never got printed. Mm. I'll remember playtest versions of cards. So like and when you talk about the actual card, I will remember it doing something other than what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have become terrible at remembering anything real. <laughs> I could tell you every minute detail of set F because that's what I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm 21, I'll remember some draft version of a card that never came to be. And I don't, like, 
card names are just way beyond me because a card will change names so many times during the process. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a whole other level of things. Like when you said, yeah, I remember the playtest version of it, and I remember it before the rules of it changed. That's that's next Does level. That have trample? It had trample, right? No, no, no. It, it had Rampage 2, actually, remember? It probably didn't have Rampage 2. <laughs> so here's the card. I, I, I found it now. It's Soul Exchange. That's the one. I, I don't know why I thought of Simulacrum, but Soul Exchange was an old Fallen Empires card that the main reason I remember it is for the art. And I, I love the strategy. I love the deck building. I love the playing and all of that. But thinking back when I first played Magic in the 90s and looking at some of these old card arts, and I still have those cards from, from back in the day. They're, they're, they're a little heavy played, but this is one of the ones that I remember. And I just love Soul Exchange because the, the art is so evocative. Like, what is going on here? There's like a creature that's dead and they're putting blood on another creature and he's like coming to life and the soul is exchanging. And never mind what the card does, but just that art, Anthony Waters. 1994. This is nostalgia. I don't know that I've ever actually cast this card. But yeah, the art is cool now that I look at it. Mm-hmm. So return target creature card from your graveyard and put a 2-2 two, two if you exile the Thrall. Oh yeah, this was whole the whole one of the very first tribal decks, I guess, that it was very strong in Thralls and Thalids and the Order of the Ebon Hand and everything. So I think... Um, this is one of the many things to love about magic that if you first played it in your youth, however, however you define your youth, it's going to stick with you. And if you put it down for a while, it'll still be there. And I put it down from 1999 to 2017. That's that's a that's a lifetime. Um, and I got back into it and magic was still there. It was different. There was no more banding and mana burn and all of that. But it was close enough to what I remembered. And I'm back into it. And I don't think I'm going to drop it again. I remember uh, I built a deck around Ice Age that had uh, Skull Catapult and a bunch mm. of Thrall things. It was like a Thalid shooter deck. <laughs> Thalid shooter deck, eh? Yeah. Remember <laughs> that deck. deck probably is still sitting in my closet somewhere. Hmm. When I got back into Magic, one of the first videos that I did for my YouTube channel was breaking out those decks, and I still had put together a uh, a Demir deck. Of course, it wasn't Demir back in, you know, Ice Age times, but back then I was playing Demir and I'm still playing it now. I, I'm either playing Demir or Orzhov or Mono Black. And so we see there that black seems to be the color that I'm uh, leaning towards. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm Gruul at heart. Enjoy our red-green aggro strategies. Um, my... Ideal version of creature removal is running into it with a larger creature. <laughs> what do you think of the new Crash Through? Uh, the one that has like the uh, the fight mechanic, but with trample as well. Trample spillover damage. Those those two were uh, it was Crash Through and the other one. Is that right? That it used uh, Flame Spill was the was the direct damage. Yeah. Uh, the other one, Crash Through, was just a cantrip that gives trample. Uh, the other one was Ram Through. Oh, Ram Through. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ram Through is the fight. And if your creature has trample, do what everyone thinks what everyone thinks trample does, and deal the excess damage to the controller. So it kind of mimics trample uh, in a fight scenario. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure who came up with the excess damage idea. I know Dave and I worked on it. Dave Humphreys and I worked on it for quite a while. Uh, taking our cues from the trample reminder text 
this is a, sort of based on an older card called Liquid Fire. Mm-hmm. Seems simple enough, and now has one of the more ridiculous oracle texts possible because of the intricacies of how the rules work. I could explain this to you, but it would take another hour. <laughs> I like how things in current magic might go back to classic magic and update it for the modern times because Liquid Fire was published back in Odyssey, which was 19, which was 2001. So it just took, you know, 19 more years and it finally came out right. I sometimes joke internally that there are really only 12 magic cards and we just iterate <laughs> those 12 over and over. Mm-hmm. Like the old standby of, you know, every, every new mechanic is either kicker or split card. Hmm. Well, that just goes back to the classic saying about uh, when you're writing, when you're when you're writing stories. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. What five or six tropes of literature, and we're just listening. We're just writing new versions of it with you know robots this time instead of a person. Nothing new under the sun is a good way to put it because you end up having to do what we did on Amonkhet and just add another sun. <laughs> Unlocks all kinds of possibilities. Speaking of uh, Approach of the Second Sun, we just dodged the Second Sun in one of my recent Commander games. Uh, I guess one of the ways to beat uh, Approach of the Second Sun is to just kill that player first. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it is very difficult to win the game if you have already lost the game. <laughs> yes. It's one of those r- rules truism. Yes. Well, as we wind down... Um, I know that we focus on magic on this podcast and we live and breathe magic, but I guess there's other hobbies that exist beyond magic. So what what other things are you into besides magic? I am unaware of things outside of magic. If I were to be aware of them, um, as I said before, unfortunately, when your job becomes magic, yeah, some people, not everyone's like this. Uh, a lot of the designers, to their credit, uh, when they're not playing magic at work, they're just playing magic for fun, uh, which is awesome. I do that less. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would say my uh, number one hobby right now is puzzling, uh, all kinds of puzzles. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are like escape room type things, uh, logic puzzles. I've played in the MIT Mystery Hunt for the past few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, your listeners know what that is enjoy puzzle hunts very much i enjoy word games and uh, all sorts of uh, verbal pursuits uh, i'm a member of the national puzzlers league which is the oldest uh, organization in the u.s dedicated to uh, crosswords and all sorts of word play do you get like a cool badge and a position and such being part of that uh i don't have a badge um, I have several name tags. <laughs> mm-hmm. And are there like actual events where people meet up and then puzzle each other? Yeah, well, we have an annual convention uh, where about 150 to 200 people actually show up to the convention. So it's really just sort of five days of uh, games and puzzles and events and people like write their own jeopardies and we play them and it's a lot of socialization and going out to eat mm-hmm. and hanging out with friends. Uh, it's it's much like the magic community, just kind of on a smaller scale. Um, it's a really cool organization. I was actually introduced to it by Mark Gottlieb, uh, game designer extraordinaire. 
<laughs> just celebrated his 20 years at Wizards. Oh, wow. Um, Mark, uh, prior to Wizards, was an editor for Games Magazine, one of my favorite, like, formative pieces of media when I was a kid. I loved Games Magazine. I think I have a vague memory of having a few of those when I was young as well, like some really fun it has it has to have been games magazine i'm yeah like it's kind of coming back to me i think i remember having those when i was younger games magazine was fantastic i was a huge fan um i was actually really excited about meeting mark gottlieb yeah. um as a you know puzzle constructor and on staff of games magazine so when i knew i was going to meet him going to work at wizards i was very excited mm -hmm. um we're now good friends and it's kind of funny thinking about how like how much i looked up to him before meeting him and i mean i still look up to him yeah. um like it was just like kind of one of my niche you know heroes of mine and i actually got to meet him and now we hang out i was at his wedding uh -huh. um you know we're good friends mm-hmm we cats it for each other at least <laughs> back when we could see each other in person yeah were we what was going on oh hobbies um i'm six eight so by law i'm required to play basketball <laughs> although i'm i'm definitely getting older <laughs> so uh my basketball days are numbered we're not quite at the end but we're getting there yeah. uh and what else do I do? I watch a lot of TV. And I play I play games. Mm -hmm. I'm a uh, huge board game fan. Love uh, Sad that I will not get to go to Board Game Geek Con uh, this November. Mm -hmm. Like everything else, it has been canceled. But I love going to... I, I really like going to conventions uh, where I'm not... I'm just an attendee. Yeah. I'm not staff. I'm not what I will jokingly call a, you know, a celebrity, like people, if I go to a magic tournament, it's usually kind of known who I am and I'll, you know, do a panel or do something. That's super fun. I love it. But I also love going to conventions where I'm just a nobody. I'm just there to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been able to go to San Diego Comic-Con in that capacity as more of a fan or have you gone there as just a representative of, of the company? I went to San Diego Comic-Con uh, for about three or four years in a row just before it got really huge. Mm. Uh, I went as uh, a representative of other game companies. Mm -hmm. we'll talk about that maybe on a different podcast. <laughs> um, I have been, on behalf of Wizards, I've been a couple times, uh, which is amazing. San Diego Comic-Con is mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're at the San Diego Convention Center, just a quick shout out to the good folks over at Tin Fish across the street. That place is awesome. Oh, yeah. I, we'll do gaming recommendations. We'll do a food podcast. Everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been to San Diego, San Diego Comic Con a couple of times. Um, unfortunately, I was working, so I didn't really get a chance to like do a whole lot. I couldn't go to other panels that I would have liked to have seen and things like that. So I have not been... To San Diego Comic Con since it got really huge as a uh, what we call a civilian. Yeah, I'm curious what what years was it then that you did go before it got really huge? Oh, this probably would have been like 99 to 2002. Mm -hmm. Or in that neighborhood. 
bad with years, but it's somewhere in that neighborhood. That makes sense. Comic-Con's been such a cultural juggernaut for so long that people, I think, assume that it's always been like that. But uh, I went for the very first time way back uh, in 1993, and it definitely, I've seen it evolve. And I've been, I don't know how I've been able to do it, but I've been able to very luckily go at least one day every year since 1993, and that's way too many years to even believe but uh, I've seen it growing and evolving from where it was just completely about the comics to then a Hollywood presence starting. And then now it's like this huge nerd event where everything is there and just everything about everything. And um, for the people that are going for the first time, maybe in one or two years, you're, you're in for a huge treat. It is mind blowing. It is not just what can you do in the convention center, but what is there outside and what restaurants and what fun things are at different hotels and everything. I remember it being a very big show when I went, but, and I haven't been, like I said, in, in coming up on 20 years. Uh, but now just from what you can see online and just watching the coverage, it's so massive and it's grown into, you know, movies and television and streaming and mm-hmm. video games. And just, it's exploded. It was still mostly a comic focused show when i went mm-hmm. well hopefully our convention season for next year will be much more positive than this year that'll just give us a chance to save up our money for all the goodies we want to get when those conventions come back next year yeah i think uh hopefully uh knock on wood that when it's safe for everyone to cram themselves into a large convention center once again uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a very exciting uh, series of events. I think um, most of the conventions that have had to cancel, they're going to have big blowouts. Uh, here locally, uh, there's PAX. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm, I'm hoping we get to a point where we can all do it safely. Yeah, and I hear some of them are doing like at-home versions. Comic-Con will be doing a Comic-Con at home, uh, which I believe is uh, open entry to everyone. And they're going to do some panels and things and just try to... And, and, and a cosplay contest and everything from home. So even though we won't be able to actually be there in person, we'll still be able to enjoy it. Much like Magic, where we might not have the gathering of it, but we still have the magic of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, and I mean, there's... The tools are out there now to really facilitate that kind of thing. Like I've um, watched a lot of these like zoom meetings, uh, you know, like they've had like kind of virtual panels. Uh, I just saw one for the, the boys, the, mm-hmm. the television show mm-hmm. um, cast of Hamilton did a thing. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool stuff out there. So yeah. Online convention sounds sweet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tough for our game, but you know, there was Command Fest, where a lot of Magic got played uh, virtually, mm-hmm. with with cameras pointed at desks. Um, and I think we just we got to be adaptable and flexible. And uh, there's some fun stuff out there. Yeah. Well, um, final thoughts on anything we've talked about, or any other uh, things you want to talk about, and uh, you know, give us the full spoiler for Set F if you'd like, whatever. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the two new mechanics in that set. First up, it... <laughs> oh, wouldn't you know uh, what this is when Discord crashes? Whoops. 
oh, I'm sorry, I have to go. There's a, a some bit of noise or something. <laughs> um, yeah, what's going on now? Uh, M21, jumpstart, go do the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, this is why I'm not writing taglines for the marketing department. Mm -hmm. Go do the thing. Uh, and then later this year, there's another set, isn't there? We have another set, don't we? Yes, Zendikar Rising. Uh, if I don't remember if something is public or not, I have the host say it. Yes. Uh, that's in September, um, and it's really cool. Mm. In fact, I am working on the mechanics article for that this week. Cool. Will there uh, maybe be some uh, videos on it as well with uh, someone's uh, soothing voice uh, explaining things? We have not worked out the details of this while we're uh, stuck at home. Oh, yeah. Uh, a decision will have to be made in the next few months. Um, normally, I would just say, yes, of course, we're definitely doing those. Um, the current situation has challenged that a little bit. Uh, you, there may be a video, my voice may be in it. We, we may not get the, uh, same audio quality. Cause I'll just be sitting at home with my, uh, sad, sad microphone. <laughs> and the cats popping in once in a while. I'm definitely writing a script as though there will be video. So there's hmm. hoping. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, uh, lastly, would you like to one more time mention where people might find you, keep up to date with you on social media and such? Uh, you can find me. Uh, there's a uh, Twitter account that I use. It's at Watsy underscore Matt, W-O-T-C underscore M-A-T-T. -T. That is my work uh, wizards magic uh, occasionally I'll comment on D&D &D. Uh, mm -hmm. account. Please hit me up. Say hi. Um, I'm so alone in my house. <laughs> it's me, my wife and my cats. Love to talk to you. Uh, answer all your questions or at least tell you I can't answer all your questions. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, your questions aren't, you know, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Are no stupid questions. Um, me up there. Uh, I do not have a SoundCloud to promote. I do not have a Insta to promote <laughs> because I'm too old. Mm. Uh, I am not currently on TikTok. Mm. Uh, although uh, my friend Gavin Verhe uh, is on all of those. You should go find him. Mm -hmm. uh, he's putting out some good content uh, on Daily MTG. Good morning, magic, magic, something mm. with a sun. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a lot of words. You should go find him. Um, if you run into Ma uh, Gavin in the wild, uh, please do not attempt to trap him. He is not, in fact, a bear. He's not <laughs> by beard. Uh, he's looking good. <laughs> yeah. I have. I do not have a TikTok. I do not have... I'm not currently on MySpace. None of your listeners will be cracking my top eight, I'm afraid. <laughs> You never got the you never got the upgrade that let you do top ten. Oh, how much you got to pay for that? You had to uh, have special connections. Uh, I am on Reddit, but I mostly s Green Bay Packers and Vegas Golden Knights subreddits. Hmm. Uh, my Reddit experience is sports. Um, all you Vegas listeners out there, go Knights, go. 
<laughs> what else? So that's it. Yeah, hit me up on Twitter. Um, I will be in touch via mechanics article soon. <laughs> and uh, that's it. I do not have any charities uh, that I have chosen. So if you are inclined to donate to charity. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of them to choose from that. Um, I do have uh, several favorite fast food restaurants, if you'd like to visit those. How many of them are in San Diego? Oh, there was Tin Fish. I did give some love out to Tin Fish. Yes. Um, amazing fish and chips place. Really, really tasty. Uh, what else in San Diego? Han, where do we like to eat in San Diego? Uh, sushi on the Rock. Oh, Sushi on the Rock in La Jolla. Oh, okay. So, this is amazing. Um, uh, the Cottage, also in La Jolla. Mm-hmm. Now, I like how we're, uh, magic is done. We're now morphing. It's lunchtime, so we're going to morph into a culinary podcast. So it started off as Let's Enter the Arena, the magic podcast, and now we're going to Let's Enter the Kitchen, a food podcast. Just going to take a tour of the house. <laughs> done the room, now the kitchen going to stop there because i'm assuming this is a family friend friendly podcast so far it's been yes well matt i want to take a moment to bring my gratitude to you and thank you so much for answering my uh, my tweet about being on the podcast and just giving all this great information from behind the scenes absolutely where should i send my bill uh that that would be uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Just, uh, you know, put it in the mailbox as soon as you can. It was my pleasure. Uh, I love doing it. Thank you for reaching out. This has been super fun. I'm happy to chat about all the things at any time. This was great. So thank you so much for being on the show. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena.